our teacher this morning is a morally complicated character named Rahab. She is a prostitute. And she is a liar. And she's good at it. Uh, she is deceitful and betrays her own people uh, so that they're destroyed in order that the Israelite spies can gather the information they need to take over. She is complicated because neither her profession nor her behavior are virtuous in such a way that families nowadays when they have a baby girl want to name their girl after Rahab. Have you met anybody named Rahab? No. Uh, but listen now, even though she's complicated, and this is why we're going to talk about her this morning, God draws her into his plans and she has an indispensable part to play in the plans of God. And that should challenge us uh, over how we look at other people and how we look at ourselves as well. And, and she's so exemplary that in the New Testament, she's taken up more as an example than many of the women from the Old Testament who parents do name their children after. Three times she's set forward as an example of what courage, which trusts God, and ex exemplifies genuine faith three times to teach the people of God how to be better followers of Jesus. And that's what we want here this morning. And so we'll look at her to learn in that way. Her story is told in the beginning of the book of Joshua. But before we uh, investigate, I want to set her story in the broader picture of the timeline of God's people. If you came in and were given one of these timelines, it's a good moment to reflect on it. Uh, if not, it's up here. Uh, the story uh, of Moses, which really unfolds dramatically in the book of Exodus and then all the way on through the book of Deuteronomy, the story of how God leads his people out of Egypt, the Exodus, so that they're free. That story for Moses comes to an end at the close of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, those of you who know the Bible well will know that there at the end of that book, Moses is brought up onto a mountain, still in the desert, not yet in the land which God had promised. And Moses is given eyes to look over the river to the land of promise, but is told you're not going to go there yourself. And the reason you're not going to go there yourself is that you and the people of God in the day when you first saw it chose not to trust in God's promises because the challenges for you were too great. Uh, and aside now, I want you to think about you. Some of you have heard God's promises for you or for God's people, and they've just seemed too good to be true, especially given the challenges between you and what God has promised. Would you think about that for a moment? Uh, God has promised to be faithful, and circumstances in life make it impossible to believe that. It's, it's, a, it's a barrier too great. Uh, or God has promised uh, to be with you each and every day, and, and yesterday morning when you woke up, you, you sought God, but you couldn't feel his presence near. Has that happened to anybody? Wherever that is for you, get it in your mind. For Moses and God's people, after they came out of bondage in Egypt, they went into the desert. Do some of you know this story? And then God led them right up to the promised land and said, that land over there is going to be yours. What you need to do is send in a number of spies to go check out the land. If you want to show off, how many spies were there? Twelve. Only one person in a very humble way showed off. Twelve. <laughs> right. One for every tribe. The, the spies go into the land, and what they see is that the land is better than we could have imagined, and 
the enemies there are stronger than we could have dreamed. And based on that, even though they knew God had made this promise to give them this good thing, the, the spies come back and there's a disagreement between those 12 about what should happen. Some of them say, there is no way we should go in. The, the enemies are way too strong. 10 of them say that. Two of them say, no, yes, the enemies are too strong, but no, we should still go in because God is stronger than any enemy we shall ever face. Let's go for it. They present their findings before Moses and all of God's people. Guess who wins? It's the 10. It's the 10 who went out. The 10 who are saying, there's no way it will work. They convince all the people. So the people say, you know what? We shouldn't even go forward. Let's go all the way back to where we used to be in bondage in Egypt. They say to Moses, why did you lead us out here so that we would die? It just seems too good to be true what God has promised. Because of the challenges that they face in that moment, they say it can't be true to trust God. Now back to you for a moment. I know this. The reason I'm telling you this story is that many of us, every single day of our lives, will know the promises of God, but given the challenges that we face, those promises will seem too good to be true. And the question will be, will we go with what our common sense tells us, given what we see, 10, or will we trust what we know from God, 2? Who's going to win out, the 10 or the 2? And for the people of God in this moment in their history, the 10 won. And so for 40 years, the people of God wandered in the desert, but then God brought them up again, right to the edge of the promised land, and said, look, I'm still going to give it to you. But right now, Moses, you're not going to be the one who leads the people in. Instead, it's going to be a different person, and his name is Joshua. Awesome. Joshua was one of the two original spies. The other one was named Caleb, and Caleb in Hebrew means something like brave or courageous. It also means dog, but that's not as inspiring. <laughs> so we meet our teacher this morning, Rahab the unlikely teacher for us. We meet her at the point of God's story where the people are about to go back again. And this time, Joshua is going to lead them. Before we look at his story, one last thing. I want to show you why we're looking at Rahab, where we're going, because often when you set out on a journey, if you know the destination before you even leave, it helps you get there. Does that make sense? I want us to get there this morning to learn three lessons, especially from Rahab, which the New Testament teaches us through this unlikely teacher. The first lesson is a lesson about faith. And that's the first thing we learn from Rahab, what it looks like to believe in God. And that's simple. And, and I want to put that up as a destination for us because if you've come in this morning and all of these stories are brand new to you and you're thinking, is this going to be too much for me this morning? Let me just say, Whatever you get, a lesson about faith is going to come to you this morning from Rahab. And that is a story about what it is to believe in God. That's first. The second thing is a lesson about work. Uh, in the New Testament, she presents us a lesson about work too. And that is, if a person does believe in God, they behave differently. They do some kind of thing in the world that is a work in the world which fits God's plan. And that always happens when faith is genuine. And that's the second thing which Rahab teaches us. And then a third thing, which is astounding. You'll have to wait to the end of the message to get this one. But it's a lesson about the nature of God. Because in a surprising way, the faith and the work of Rahab, this, well, this disreputable, uh, unethical person, teaches us a powerful lesson about God. The God in whom we're invited to believe and for whom we're invited to work. Rahab will teach us all three, and it's going to come through her story. Now, I usually have five, maybe six. I have seven pages this morning. So I'm going to put it in hyperdrive. Are you ready? 
It's gonna be fast, but stay with me. The story is told in Joshua chapter two, verse one reads like this. Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and spent the night there. Okay, this is where we meet Rahab, our teacher, we meet her after Joshua has sent two men to spy out the land which God has promised to give to his people. Can you see the deja vu here? Imagine especially if you're Joshua, remembering what it was like to be one of 12 spies sent out in the past so that 10 came back and said no, two came back and said yes. Does it surprise you that he only sent two spies instead of 12? He sends two because he knows that number works better. And the two go to stay in the house of Rahab, who is a prostitute and whose house it is. It means not only is she a prostitute, but she is the one who oversees a house of prostitution. Why did they go there? They went there because this is a place where men go when they don't want to be discovered. You see it? And these two don't want to be discovered because they've got work to do. They're spies. They also go there because they want to gather information about the city. And in places like this, the people who arrive there know a lot about what's going on down low. They understand the information. And so they've gone to, be, to get information and to be as, uh, as safe as possible. Now, it doesn't exactly work. Look at what happens. Verse 2, the king of Jericho was told, some Israelites have come here tonight to search out the land. That means they were not very good spies. Okay, already they've been discovered. Verse 3, then the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they've come only to search out the whole land. Uh, this king is on edge because he knows that their, their city is going to be threatened at some point. It was like that in the ancient world. But he knew something about the spies of God's people. He'd seen them come, and so he sends word to Rahab. Now, if you're Rahab and you get a message from the king himself, that is something to take with the utmost of seriousness. This is a threat to her, and she knows surely, that if she turns these spies over, she will earn the favor of the king. She will be a hero among her people in Jericho, and it will put their plans to an end for the time being. But watch what happens. And this is verse four. But the woman took the two men and hid them. Uh, now listen, we're seeing what faith looks like, and we're seeing how faith works. And already we're getting a picture of the truth about God. And, and listen, before I read what happens next, understand this is not a woman of God. This is a woman who grew up in Canaan where they have foreign gods of every kind. And yet, she hid the men and look at what happens. When the, when the soldiers come, then she said, true, the men came to me. And by the way, she starts with the truth because she's wise enough to understand that denying that they came there wouldn't work. The report already went to the king. And so she starts with the truth. True, the men came to me, and here come the lies. But I did not know where they came from. That's not true. Uh, they told her where they came from. She knows. Uh, then she adds, and when it was time to close the gate... At dark, the men went out. That's also a lie. That's how it should have happened. After the night falls, the gate in the city, which keeps people who are not a part of the city from coming in, would be shut to keep the city safe. And so she said, oh, they left, and then, you know, the gate 
was shot. Where the men went, I do not know. Another lie. She knows exactly where they went. They went where she took them so that they could hide. And then she says, pursue them quickly for you can overtake them. That's her way of putting the maximum distance between the soldiers and the men who she's just now lied about. Go chase them quick. If you're fast, I'm sure you can overcome them. Verse six, she had, however, brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men pursued them on the way to, to the Jordan as far as the fords. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Do you see what she has done? She has lied, she's betrayed her own people, and she's made the spies of this foreign people group as safe as they possibly could be by hiding them in the flax that is there on her roof. It's apparently the season of harvest. There would have been bundles of uh, barley and flax up there to be dried in the sun during the day, and so she's hidden them there, and now she's told this lie to the soldiers, so out they go, the gate is shut, and for this night before them, the spies are as safe as they possibly could be, all because of what Rahab did. Why would she do this? Or why would she refuse the benefit that surely would be hers if she had turned them over from the king and the king's messengers and put herself at such risk as she does in this moment. I'll tell you now, what we're about to see is extraordinary faith, which explains why her courage was as it was. In verse eight, as we overhear her conversation with the spies, we're shown her faith. Look at this. Before they went to sleep, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that dread of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. Now, if you're a spy, what do you want to hear about the armies in the land that you're considering overtaking? You want to hear that they are terrified of you. Do you see that? And surely... In this moment, Rahab unfolds for these spies something that they couldn't have known already, which is they will experience zero resistance because everyone's terrified of them. If they knew that before and they never would have had to go in and spy the land out to begin with. Can you see that? So she tells them exactly what they want to hear and what they didn't know. And she says this to them because of this, which is a theological fact, this statement about their God. I know that the Lord has given you the land. In English, it's hard to see in your Bible, but in Hebrew, the word she uses for Lord is the proper name which God gave to himself first when the bush was burning and Moses asked, who should I tell the people has sent me? Do some of you know that story? where in English it comes through as I am. In Hebrew, it's something like Yahweh. Here, Rahab says the name of the true God telling these spies that the true God has given you this land already. And in this moment, she exhibits a trust in God, faith in believing the promises of God which had been proclaimed to God's people, but which they had failed to believe. And even though she's a foreigner in this other land, even though she doesn't have what they have behind them, which is 
the experience, the lived experience of God's faithfulness, she tells these spies the truth about their God, which is he's already given you the promises that your own people have been slow to believe. Can you see that she has a faith which is stronger than all the other spies that went in before, except for Joshua and his friend Caleb? Do you see that faith? Surely these two spies see it. And now listen, put yourself in the position again. Now this is the position I want you to be in. To be reminded this morning of the truth of God's faithfulness, whatever you face. Trusting that the Lord, who is God, has given the promise that he has given. He's given it already. And sometimes it takes an unlikely character to teach us that. Uh, Look at what happens next in verse 10. She says, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. All three of the events that she mentions include kings who stood up against God's plan moving forward. Pharaoh in Egypt said no when Moses said, why not release us? We'll leave peacefully and you can go on living and we'll go our own way. When Pharaoh said no, God said, okay, now you're going to suffer for resisting my plans, but one thing is certain, you're not gonna stop the forward movement of my people. And the same exact thing happened with Sion and with Og. And those are stories that somehow made their way to the people of Jericho. So Rahab could say, look, we understand how your God operates because of the good and powerful and mighty things he's done in the past to deliver his people. And because of that, I trust. Do you have a recollection of any mighty thing that God has done in the past to overcome some foe or some barrier to move you forward in his plans. If you have any of that, we need you to say so with a little volume. Yes? Yes. Not everyone has that. Okay, and if you don't have that in your past, okay, hope for it. Wait for it, long for it. But if you've got it, you say yes with me again. Would you yes? Have you got it? Yes, yes. I would not be here if God hadn't moved a mountain down in Red Bank to get me here. Was that easy for me? Absolutely not. But here I am, and can I tell you how glad I am? Because God moves mountains to move people forward. Rahab seems to know that because of what God's done in the past. And she says in verse 11, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. Again, she's giving them that information that a spy would love to hear. There's no courage in this land at all because we know God has sent you. It's going to be easy for you to execute on God's plan. Now, strictly speaking, there is a bit of misinformation in what she says because she says that there is no courage left in any of us because of you. And do you see why she's wrong? Yes, thank you so much. She has courage. She has amazing courage. She has amazing courage that should inspire us to stand up against the king and everyone who would stand in God's way because that she's heard of God's faithfulness. And in this moment, she shows us something about faith and something about work and something about God that we all need to learn here this morning. Look at how she closes up her statement. This is the second half of verse 11. This is faith. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. That's faith. Now listen to me. Put aside Rahab and the the people of God for a moment. Please listen. The Lord our God is God indeed in heaven above and on earth below. And listen now, listen to me as your pastor. There is nothing which is too high for God in your life right now, nothing at all. 
There's nothing that's so high up there that you have longed for and hoped for that it's above him in his own grace and power and mercy to do. And there is no depth to which you could sink on this earth or even below the earth. There is no depth that anyone that you know or love could possibly sink, even, even if you've lost someone because of death. And I know many of you have. There is no depth to which that person can sink, which is so low that it's too low for God himself to go. That is the truth about God. And you must understand that this morning, this morning you are invited to have courage to believe that there are no heights that are too high for God and no depths too low for God to go. And the good news is that God is faithful. His faithfulness is great. And we are still in his hands. All of us are still in his hands. Can I get even a faint and a slight amen? That's way too much. Dial it back, people. <laughs> Rahab, this unlikely teacher, not only in this story, but in the New Testament, in the revelation of the gospel, in the astounding good news where we learn finally how God was faithful, even through the many generations of Israel where it seemed impossible that God should be faithful because in Jesus Christ that God has come to deliver all of us in that story, Rahab, more than other uh, biblical women whose names we have in our families, Rahab becomes a teacher of these three, of faith, of work, and of God. Let's start with faith. In the book of Hebrews, that magnificent book written to encourage people of God who are ready to give up, we learn about the faith of Rahab in an astounding way. Anyone in here as a follower of Jesus, as a person believing in God, ever tempted to give up because of how hard it's become? Yes. The book of Hebrews is especially for you. Rahab is taken up in that book in this way. Uh, listen to what the author writes in chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she received the spies in peace. The person who first wrote those words knew that Rahab had hidden those spies, received them in peace. The author of Hebrews also knew the outcome of the story, which I haven't unfolded yet. Let me just tell you, after the spies go in safety, they tell the people of God, we've got this. They come back in. The city of Jericho falls. Everyone is destroyed except for Rahab and her family because she made a deal. She said, look, when I... Uh, when I hang a scarlet thread from my window and you see it. Spare anyone in that house. And because of that, she is spared and then she's enfolded into the people of God. And if we ask, what was it that saved Rahab the prostitute? The answer, according to the book of Hebrews, is one word, faith. Faith is what kept her from perishing. And here the author of Hebrews wants to bring that fact into our minds so that we learn an essential truth to the Christian understanding of God, and it is that faith saves. Did you hear that? That is a lesson we all need to learn. And I want to keep it simple like that. Faith kept Rahab from perishing. And the truth for each of us to take this morning is that faith will save us 
That is how God has designed his world in which we have a share. It is that if we are willing to trust God, believe in him, then we can be assured of salvation. Jesus said it over and over to people he met. He didn't say your ideas have saved you, your beliefs have saved you, your behaviors have saved you. No, he said your faith has saved you. How much faith? Oh, if it's as much as a mustard seed, it can move a mountain, which means even a tiny shred of faith can save. And then later on, Jesus said it in a different setting. I have come not to condemn the world so that the world should be saved through me so that anyone who believes in me will not perish but have, do you know how this ends? It, help me here. Eternal life. Faith saves. What is faith? Earlier in chapter 11, the author of Hebrews puts it like this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let me ask you this morning, do you have anything that you have hoped for from God? Yes or no? Have, have some of those things not come to pass? Yes. You haven't seen them, have you? Faith is the ability to go on hoping that even death is not the end. And, and the author of Hebrews will talk about that. Many of God's people had hoped for things. They never saw those things materialize. But faith is the ability to hope that even death is not the end and that there will be a day when God in Christ returns and he will remove everything that has spoiled God's plan and renew and restore everything to his original, um, his original vision for the world. And in that day, restoration will come so that every good and perfect gift will be in your presence for eternity. Why? Because you trusted, you had faith. And faith accepts the promise of salvation. And that's what the author wants us to know about Rahab. She was assured that God's people would move forward, even though she had no reason to see it with her own eyes. Everything told her that she would be stuck in prostitution forever because that's where she lived. Do you think she hoped to get away from that? Of course she did. She was convinced that her life didn't have to be like that always, and it wasn't because she believed that the God of these people was the God of heaven and earth. And faith like that saves. That's the first lesson that comes from Rahab through the teachers of the New Testament to us. We need to learn that we must believe in God and start there. What do you hope for? What does your heart long for? Let it come into your mind for a moment, and let me tell you, you can never hope for anything which is too good when it comes to God. And if he doesn't give it to you, then this is hard for me to say, but it's true. Even that hope of yours was too small for what God will one day reveal and give to you. Will you believe it? That's the first lesson from Rahab. Faith saves. Okay, the second one is a, is a lesson about work. Uh, this lesson comes in the very next book of the New Testament after Hebrews. If you turn your Bible uh, to the very next book. It is the book of James. Some of you were here when I did that series on James, a series of burning questions. Yes? At the end of that series, there was someone who came to me who had been at the church for a month and a half, and he said, I like your church a lot, but I'm a little concerned. And I said, well, what's the concern? He said, you act as if the only book in the Bible is James. Do you believe in any of the other books? <laughs> I had to tell him that we were in a series. Sorry. Um, we do believe in the other books. But back to James, for this reason, that first lesson about faith, which says that faith, which believes in God saves, always leads to a temptation that all that matters is what you say you believe. And do you know that that temptation will come up against you every day of your life as long as you want to follow Jesus? Did you know that yet? That over and over, you will be tempted, whether you're just starting out in faith, to behave as if 
All that matters is what you say you believe in. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're just starting out, you'll face that temptation. If every day you go to your office and read the Bible and try to put together a good message for the people of God, you still will face that temptation over and over. But here, the author, James, makes a strong case against that way of looking and uses Rahab to build his argument. In chapter 2, verse 25, he says, Was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? <laughs> you see, James knew the story of Rahab also, and he knew that because she decided not only to say she believed in God, but also to make it so, as he put it, the messengers were sent out by another road. He knows that because of that, God's plan moved forward then and there through Joshua and all the spies that were led into the land. Here he is saying very plainly, if you want to know the heart of genuine faith, then you must understand that works always come from faith. And this is the second lesson for you and for me to take this morning. That it's one thing to say, I believe that God is the God of heaven and earth, but then it is another thing to do what faith does. And all of us need to learn this. Faith works. Faith hides the spies, even though there's a massive threat from the king of the place where we find ourselves, when we know what God's plan is and we're willing to trust, even though it's a risk to us. Faith works. You, as long as you follow Jesus in your family with the conflicts that you'll face in your family, or at work where it's a challenge to live as a Christian because in your environment at work, the, the values are not the values that Christians espouse, right? Or in, in school where you go to school, it's hard to be a Christian. And so faith works like Rahab's faith worked. I want to tell you, in Ocean Grove, one of the most encouraging things that I experienced was after my second morning at Bible Hour, uh, a woman came to me and described uh, that she had been at the Bible Hour the year before where I taught about faith which works, uh, where I taught about the virtues that Second Peter lists which make faith fruitful and effective. She said, my name is Judy and she is a judge in the social services court in New Jersey. Her name is Judy and she is a Judge, okay, true story. Um, she said to me that the environment that I work in is one of the hardest environments that a person can be in and go on believing in the goodness of God. Social Services Court in New Jersey. Every morning, she says, I start and all through the day, I hear cases where people are in the most desperate situations, a lot of them struggling with mental illness or substance abuse, and over and over again, they're at the end of their rope and they lie and they try to deceive and I have to try to be a follower of Jesus there. And then she said, I listened to the passage of 2 Peter last summer about the, the virtues that make faith work every morning for one year now every single morning. I get up and I go to my office 30 minutes early. I sit at my desk after I put my, my robe on and I pray that God will help me make those virtues visible where I work every day for a year. And there has never been a day yet this year where I've not been given the opportunity in my work to make Jesus visible by embodying those things which God enables me to do by faith. She was stoic and stern as judges are supposed to be. I was crying already as I was listening. And I said, Judy, may I tell your story to the church that I minister to? She said, if it's encouraging, absolutely. That's faith like Rahab's. Can you see it? 
faith which works. Third lesson is about God. This is left for last because to me it's the most astounding. When you open the New Testament on the very, very first page, you read in the book of Matthew uh, these words. This is how our New Testament begins. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew has in his mind the great faithfulness of God through history, and he knows that the promise that first was given to Abraham, and then, listen now, came to David only because of the courage of the people that we've been talking about together. That it went from Abraham through David all the way down through the the birth of the baby about whom this gospel is written. That's Jesus. And so he starts his story by establishing God's faithfulness by presenting the genealogy. And anyone in the first century who would have read these words would have known that a genealogy is written to establish the purity ethnically and the national identity and the moral rectitude, the rightness of the person whose genealogy this is. And so anyone who picks up the New Testament and starts to read is ready to read of God's patriarchs, the men of God from whom this Jesus has descended. But Matthew goes out of his way to do something that is utterly shocking and surprising to the first readers. And it comes in verse 5 when you read, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, stopped there. If we were a first century reader, our question would be, hold on a minute, this is a genealogy. And since uh, descendants are traced through the men, why is there a woman in there, Rahab? And not only Rahab, but there are four other women that Matthew intentionally includes in the genealogy. Why is he doing this? Please listen now. He wants to teach us about God. He's using Rahab to do it. And the God that Matthew is going to write about is the God of the gospel. Please listen now. I'm going to tell you the gospel. The gospel says that God is no respecter of persons. Have you ever heard that old-fashioned phrase? It means that God does not follow the narrow vision that people are always following ethnically, racially, or morally. That we judge people based on their ethnicity. That we look at people who are not in our nation and we say they're not as good as our nation. That we look at people who perform poorly morally and we look down on them. And right away the gospel says God is not like that. And the way that Matthew does it is by including these women. You see, the only reason a woman would ever be included in a genealogy is if the author needed to do it in order to reassure the readers of the national purity, the ethnic purity, or the moral purity of the person at the end of the the genealogy, in this case, Jesus. But Rahab fails in all three areas. Because Rahab's a Canaanite. She's not from the people of God. She's not from the right nation. And she's not ethnically a descendant of Abraham, which means, again, she's not supposed to be in there. And she is a prostitute. Did you notice how every time she's mentioned in the, in the New Testament, she's called prostitute? Come on, give her a break. <laughs> it's because Matthew wants the gospel to come through plain and clear. And the gospel says that God is so open to people from other nations and other ethnicities and even from moral failures, that he will weave them into the bloodline of Messiah Jesus. And that means if you're going to be in the gospel, hold on a minute, you're going to clap here, (laughs) that you have to be in the gospel of a God who hates nationalism and racism and moral superiority that looks down on others because of their moral records. And we're invited to be a part of that people. You can clap now. Now, two things, listen. That means that all of us, 
all of us have to be on the lookout for our own tendencies to judge other people based on nation, ethnicity, moral failures. Even if the moral failure we see in them is self-righteousness. Be careful. But listen, this is the second thing. Have a heart that is so broad and wide open to the magnificence of God to use people that we would never have guessed, that we would be shocked and astounded and even embarrassed to see him weave into his plan. Because if Rahab's in the genealogy, there is room for every single person on planet Earth to also be woven into God's magnificent plans. The ones that you want to write out because they're not good enough, and if that's not you, because you're as miserable or even worse than Rahab, then for you to be open to him weaving you into his plans. The moment you judge yourself as not good enough, please remember Rahab. The moment you want to remember or or judge someone else as not good enough, remember Rahab. And then from her, learn that faith works because it trusts the God of the gospel. And then you can be courageous, uh, courageous against any enemy at all. And God will use us to move his plan forward. Will you be a part of that plan? Yes or no? Yes, let's do it together by God's grace and his power. Let's pray. God, we love you so much for the story of Rahab, this astounding and shocking exemplar of what faith and what work and what you look like. God, would you remind us of your magnificent plan for each and every one of us so that we can trust and believe in you and in that way we can move forward day by day in faith. And would you help us see the opportunities that you've given every one of us to have a faith which works wherever you've placed us. And then God, every day, help us remember the gospel so that with eyes and hearts and arms wide open and doors wide open as a community of faith, we would become the community that you are weaving your story through as each of us see others and ourselves as worthy of being a part of your story because of your mercy, because of your goodness which renews and restores and makes new. And then I ask that each of us today would be made new in faith and that we'd have the courage to move forward as we see in our teacher this morning, Rahab. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.